poltergeist. It knows what scares you. Hey, cassettes, and welcome back to the Black Case Diaries. <laughs> hey. Oh. Hi. <laughs> We're three old friends learning everything we can about movies and TV and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Robin. I'm Marcy. And Adam. So far this month, we have released two full episodes on the history of horror films. Yeah. Yay! And we had Yay. a really spooky no small parts, sort of. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but for now, we are taking a break from all that research and study to bring you an extra special episode about one scary movie in particular. If you listen to our show, you know that our co-host, Adam is not exactly the biggest fan of horror. Don't, don't point at me so <laughs> intensely. Yeah. But yeah. 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 <laughs> but Adam graciously agreed to watch some movies that were a little scarier than what he's used to. The first movie we showed Adam is the one we're covering today, Poltergeist. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> yes, Adam, thank you. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> Poltergeist is the kind of movie that scaredy cats like us yeah, yeah, yeah. like to stay away from. Me. Yeah. Mostly me. Why? Well, probably because of iconic lines like, they're here, and images like the young Carol Ann with her hands pressed against the white noise of a TV set. Just something creepy about it. You know, yeah. it's... Really creepy, and even before seeing this movie, it was creepy. Like, yeah, you know, all the references to this movie in other materials, you know, did this and kind of made the TV's creepier. Mm -hmm. But even without any of that, white just static on an old TV is not exactly nice. Even to us, nearly 40 years later, it still seems pretty terrifying. But like we've said before, horror movies seldom turn out to be as scary as we imagine, and Poltergeist was no exception. We thought this film would be a great step into horror for Adam, as it focuses less on ghosts and more on the human characters, plus there isn't a lot of gore or high body count. Thank goodness. (laughs) So this week, we're heading into Cuesta Verde to investigate the strange happenings at the Freeling House and learn all about what scares us. So where do poltergeists come from? Behind you. They're everywhere. (laughs) The word poltergeist is a combination of two German words. Poltern, which, according to Merriam-Webster, means knocking, and geist, which is the German word for ghost. I've heard, I actually found a couple different interpretations. Noisy ghost. It's pretty much what it means. So, so Casper is technically a poltergeist, then. Yeah, I would, I would say. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's all coming together. Yeah, correct. <laughs> the first known use of it as an English word was in 1848, which is a relatively short time ago. That is not, yeah, that long ago. Yeah. In terms of how old words are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Strictly speaking, a poltergeist is any mischievous spirit that makes noise or moves objects. Poltergeists are not necessarily malicious, but they can be. According to legend, they have the ability to manipulate the physical world and often use that to torment the living. On rare occasions, the ghosts are violent and can have repetitive, destructive behavior. No, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Poltergeists are often said to be connected to one member of the family in particular. Usually they appear in households where adolescents are present for whatever reason. They just like the young people. Yeah, this yeah. just seems to be what pe- what people have decided, the lore of the poltergeist. I guess maybe because younger kids are typically more open to mm-hmm. like just things that are different yeah. or like spiritual things. Oh, yeah, things, maybe. That makes know? sense. As yeah. you get older, you get cynical and you're like, that doesn't <laughs> yeah. exist. That's not right. right. Yeah. Also, I think innocence, purity. Yeah. That's uh, especially if it's a malicious ghost, too. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It can manipulate a kid, mm-hmm. make the kid trust it. Mm-hmm. I think that's always why, you know, out of what very little horror material I have seen, whenever mm-hmm. there is a child involved, it's usually some kind of other presence that the child is either talking to or, you know, being affected by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So 
you think the whole time that the child is just evil for some reason, but then <laughs> yeah. you later realize that it's something yeah. else causing this. Yeah, through working the through the kid. Yeah. And, yeah. And also kids don't really know what's weird. Mm-hmm. Right. They haven't yeah. been alive long enough to know mm-hmm. when something is unusual. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Right. So like yeah. like yeah, when kids are like drawing cute pictures with crayons, but then they draw like a big black <laughs> amorphous thing like next to their parents yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, oh look, it's the whole family. And the parents are like, What the what is that? Fuck? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So isn't it the worst when you go to the movies and you see a trailer for a scary movie only to find the words based on a true story somewhere in the trailer? Uh, <laughs> scary movies are fun and all, but let's keep the scares in the movies, right? We don't please, need... Please. Yeah, yeah. Usually this is a bit of an exaggeration. Based is such a vague word and it could mean any small part of the movie, like character names or locations, could be pulled from reality. There have been claims that Poltergeist was based on real events, whether it was a story about people building on cemeteries or just hauntings in general. Throughout research, we found a few different stories that people swear were the basis of the film, and we're just going to tell you one of those. In February of 1958, frightening February, Uh of course, the Herman family in Long Island, New York, seven miles away from the Amityville Horror House. No. What? <laughs> noticed some strange popping noises in their house. When they went to check, they found bottles throughout the home without their caps. <laughs> they, they found the popcorn <laughs> left on the stove. It was just a uh, silly mistake. Oh, man. Yeah. Drew Barrymore left it there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Poor Drew. One was a bottle of holy water that had been opened and spilled. Oh, my goodness. Yes. At first, James Herman thought it was a prank, but when similar instances occurred again and again, he got concerned. Eventually, he witnessed the objects moving on their own, and he called the police. Uh, fucking zoinks. (laughs) Um, Get out, man. That's it. I'm done. As word got out about the strange disturbances, people everywhere were at a loss for what it could be. The police theorized that it was electrical disturbances, but it seemed unlikely. The objects weren't warm or hot. They couldn't figure out why electricity would be causing this kind of thing. The strangest part was that the house was new, and the Hermans were the first family to live there. Usually, a haunted house is several decades old at least, with many different owners and a questionable history. Ghosts aren't supposed to show up in shiny new homes built for young, happy families. Yeah, uh, you dang ghost. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. um, no. That's right. against the rules. Exactly. <laughs> Two weeks after the haunting started, a priest came to bless the house. The disturbances continued, and the house got national attention. Even a group of parapsychologists from Duke University visited the house to record the disturbances and interview the family. Their leader, Dr. J.B. Ryan, believed that it was the adolescents in the home that attracted the spirits. Shortly after, the haunting ceased. Overall, there are about 70 documented disturbances over a month-long period. But why? What changed? Why did they stop? <laughs> they, did the kid have a birthday? It's like, too old now. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go now. I wonder, I don't know. Oh, I, shit. I don't know if it would have been like the psychologist showing up or... Mm. They said it was shortly yeah. after. That's when the, everything kind of seemed to stop. So that's weird. weird. They had it blessed and it didn't go away. Yeah, and exactly. The... That's a good sign, though. Right? Yeah. If a priest blesses the house and the ghosts don't go away, usually it means it must not be like satanic. It must be yeah. like something true. else. That's yeah, true. it's an atheist ghost. <laughs> <laughs> but a nice atheist ghost. Right. Honestly, those are the, those are the ghosts you hope for. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, yeah. If you're familiar with Poltergeist, then you can see how the story might have inspired the film. The people who wrote the movie that never specifically cited this story as the basis for the film. So we can't say that the movie was actually based on that story. Mm-hmm. But I think people have just found that that story is very similar. More yeah. similar than we anything else they found. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it seems similar in that they had the parapsychologists come and all that yeah. stuff. But like, I guess you can't. 
Hollywood would love to just make up what the ghost does, right? Yeah. Like, you know, maybe they could have had a scene where it's popping caps off of bottles and stuff, but Hollywood's like, yeah, let's move chairs and let's, yeah, you know, throw things around well, and you, create, cause lights yeah. and stuff. Can you imagine yeah. going to see a movie that was this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. <laughs> I mean, but then you could say this is the real story yeah. of this house. And yeah. you'd be like, oh, now it's a little bit more creepy. You know, it's not as, like, intense. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess that's true. The Freelings are your average family in search of the American dream. They have just moved into a brand new subdivision of Cuesta Verde, where dreams come true. Yeah, it's the actual oh. tagline. Isn't that just the cutest, most <laughs> dumb thing? I see it on a billboard now. Yeah, in a nice script font. But just as the family settles in, they start to notice some strange disturbances, most notably through their TV. Though the family seems to accept the spirits at first, except for the father, Steve, Things take a turn when a malevolent force pulls their youngest daughter into the spirit realm. Reeling from fear and frustration, the Freelings hire a group of parapsychologists and a medium to find a way to bring their baby girl home. It's horror in the 1980s, so this film really fits well with the popular concepts of the time. What dangers hide beneath the seemingly perfect life, and what price will we pay? For neglecting others to achieve what we want. Yep. From the perspective of a non-horror boy, Mm -hmm. it does make the movie still seem approachable. I really like this movie. Yeah. Like, I I had never seen it until recently. Mm -hmm. It it wasn't too long ago. It's weird when you're an adult and you Mm -hmm. find a movie that's like, now one of your favorite movies. <laughs> it's yeah. so weird. Yeah. You know, you're like... And it's not brand new. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> this existed my whole life and I'm just now watching it and I love it so much. <laughs> and I love it because it's so... It's about the family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, the ghosts are there, but the the story is about just the fact that they lost their daughter and they just want her back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about it more a little later in the episode, but yeah. I, I ended up really... Actually liking this one too. I think it is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. For for somebody who doesn't like spooks, yes, totally. Or is trying to get into spooks. Yeah. Yeah. In horror terms, Poltergeist is a classic. It was the highest grossing horror film of 1982. Hey. A year that was very good for movies. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Although Steven Spielberg didn't direct the film, he was a major influence as its producer. He was already a household name with Jaws, and having his name on the project likely incentivized people to see it. Steven Spielberg created the story for Poltergeist and wrote the screenplay along with Michael Grass and Mark Victor. Apparently, Stephen King was approached about writing the screenplay, but no agreement was reached. The film was directed by Toby Hooper, the incredible director that brought us the harrowing Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And several sequels. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, pass on those. <laughs> you sure? That's a big, big <laughs> no. He directed like Poltergeist, though. He no, should. no, no, no. <laughs> the, the biggest nope I could give. <laughs> you don't want to see Leatherface? No. And... no. Well, Poltergeist was produced by Frank Marshall and Steven Spielberg, who was also directing E.T. at the time. Talk about a legend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although he stepped back and let Toby Hooper take the helm, many people that were on set of the production described Spielberg's involvement as being like a shadow director because of all the input and control he would have over scenes. Despite this, Spielberg has always credited Toby Hooper as the film's solo director. He even wrote a letter to Toby apologizing for the way others misinterpreted their working relationship. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That is really nice. And it's nice because, you know, from then on, you know that Steven Spielberg would always be the one to be like, no, 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 I didn't direct that. Mm -hmm. Because if it was the other way around, where Toby was like, no, it was me, it was me, everybody would be like, ah, (laughs) But because it's actually Spielberg being like the one that's like, no, it was him, it works out nice. Yeah. Celebrated film composer Jerry Goldsmith gave Poltergeist its chilling score. This is why I love this movie so much. Yeah. I knew there was a reason. <laughs> so good. 
He used string and wind instruments throughout the soundtrack, along with music boxes to bring in that creepy, haunting Dude, vibe. I feel so bad for whoever like invented music boxes, right? Yeah. That sound <laughs> is just now creepy no matter what. I will open a music box in front of me and wind it myself. Mm-hmm. Be like, hey, I'm ready to hear this sound. And I'm like, you're still I'm scared yeah they are all over my parents house yeah music boxes are everywhere my dad has woken up to a music box playing in the middle of the night that living alone in that house yeah one of the best film composers of the 20th century goldsmith was great at creating a mood the film begins with a rendition of the star spangled banner which further pushes the strained relationship between a fancy new suburban neighborhood and the, spoiler, underlying graves of those that came before. Yeah. What a reveal that is that we'll talk yeah. about later. <laughs> spoiler. Yeah. Jerry Goldsmith is incredible. And if you don't recognize that name, Google him. Mm-hmm. And just or go to Spotify and type him in or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just find some yeah. s- some music YouTube, by him, whatever. Yeah, I guarantee that you will find some music that you have heard and love mm-hmm. from him. But you can also go back to our knowing the scores episodes from yes. back in the day, and you can find our knowing the scores playlist that's also on YouTube. Yeah. Yes. Um, isn't it weird that we plug our own show on our show? <laughs> Probably not. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the music is, of course, amazing, Jerry Goldsmith. Mm -hmm. But the visuals, guys, was also pretty awesome. Yes. It, in fact, was. Some of that practical stuff I was very impressed by. Mm -hmm. Yes. If you want to take a break from the CGI of today, Poltergeist is a breath of fresh air. The film is filled with a charming mix of practical and digital effects, with some hand-drawn animation as well. Something we'll likely never see in movies today. It probably still happens, but it's just so rare. Like, mm-hmm. remember, yeah. remember when they do it in Hocus Pocus mm-hmm. with oh, her? Yes, like, the thing, the lightning yeah, that the comes light. from her fingers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it looks so good. Yes, it, it does. Lo- yeah, and Mr. Boogity, they did it in Mr. Boogity too. It's you know, yeah, aesthetic is huge. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be realistic. Yeah, necessarily. Exactly. Poltergeist impressively utilized practical effects in almost every scene. They helped define the look of the horror film, as many scary films today still use practical effects in their aesthetic. I'm very happy for that. Yes. I will watch very few of it. (laughs) (laughs) The effects were done with Industrial Light and Magic, the VFX company founded by George Lucas. Hell yeah. (laughs) And used heavily by major film studios. We're going to talk about some of the biggest effects made for the movie. Yay. The outside of the Freeling house was a new build in California, but scenes inside the house took place on a soundstage. Wow. Actually, that that's pretty impressive, This yeah. the transition. What I've never guessed. Yeah. 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 Yep. The crew built entire rooms that rotated along with practical horrors like the monstrous tree that attacks Robbie Freeling. Oh, fucking hell, man. Yeah. That tree <laughs> just happens and then it's gone. Like, yeah. you don't even yeah. think about it for the rest of the movie. Yeah. It is, that is a lot. And I don't blame <laughs> the kid for being terrified of it before it obviously <laughs> yeah. attacks. It, looks yeah. it was like It was like monstrous, ready to yeah. go. Obviously the dead tree that yeah. no one thought to cut down. Yeah. Next to this brand a, new build. In a new build. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The light in Poltergeist is a character in and of itself. Effects artists wanted it to feel like it was living and breathing, and that it had its own personality. They used tricks like little squares of mirrors, strobes, fish tanks of water, and four large wind machines to direct and choreograph the light in major scenes. One such scene is when the mother is about to enter the closet to try to save her youngest, Carol Ann. Yeah. It's super intense. It's like the light is being the mood or the attitude of the ghost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like the closer they get, the more intense the flashing is. Yeah. You know? Or whenever the door is closed, it's like whatever. And then they open it. It's like, ah! You know, it's like, get the hell out of here. It's the only thing the ghost can do. And that's all done with with light. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's really, really cool. 
One of the most iconic scenes in the film is the encounter with the stacked chairs in the kitchen. The camera follows Diane, played by Jo Beth Williams, for seven seconds as she steps away from the table and back again, only to find all the chairs stacked. It's a creepy scene and sets a wonderful tone for the rest of the movie. Completely silently, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's this It's this so. really cool moment because you can feel it. Like, she has witnessed something that is completely unexplainable. Yes. You know, I think up to this point, they were seeing little things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Noticing little things happening. And it was just little things that it could be like, okay, well, that could be caused by this or that or this or that. Yeah. And this is the first time that it's something, there's nothing. Sh- and it's like, what do I do? Yeah. Like, yeah. it didn't hurt me. Do I make a big deal about this? I can't ignore it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is, you know, and and it's just a really great scene because it's the <laughs> first time it's like, holy oh, shit. That's impossible. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, my six-year-old definitely didn't do that. She no. was still sitting on the yeah. counter, right? Mm-hmm. She saw the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. She witnessed whatever the hell happened. Yeah. The crew built another set of chairs to look like they were stacked. And when the camera was focused on Diane, they ran in and just swapped the chairs around the table with the stacked chairs. Oh, so it was like one like built stack looking piece. So it was actually a continuous shot and done in just one take. It's amazing what you don't see beyond the camera in a movie. Mm-hmm. That is really cool because I was wondering, like, where's the edit? Like, how did they get it? <laughs> yeah, it's this. like they, they kind of, the camera, it goes back with her, kind of follows oh. her, then goes right back, right back. and she, right as she reacts to it, uh, the, to the stack being there. That is cool. Yeah. So cool. See, that's why I don't make movies. I wouldn't have thought to do that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a scene in Carol Ann's bedroom where objects are flying around and making noise. It took ILM nine months to perfect. The team used an optical printer, which has a projector on it, that will project previous footage while filming new. The tricky part was that if one of the shots projected was not perfect, the team would have to begin all over again. It had dozens of items flying through, and the head of the visual effects, Richard Edland, described it as the most difficult sequence that he had ever contributed to. So I think about Casper, which took place over, they made over 10 years later, like Mm -hmm. 14 Mm -hmm. solid years later. And I think that the visual effects in this room are pretty much on par with the ones in Casper 14 years later. And it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like you, they, you can tell they're computer generated. I mean, still they like, still well, look pretty damn good. Up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really holds up. Another classic scene, and one of our favorites, involves one of the paranormal investigators as he encounters some spiritual activity in the kitchen. After he places a steak on the counter, it comes to life, being ripped apart and inching along the counter like a worm. Um, it was pretty gross. <laughs> it's the <laughs> goriest part of the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was actually a puppeteer with his hand under the stake and wires pulling it along. He then runs into the mirror over the sink and we watch his reflection as he pulls apart his own face. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Not ready for this. When I first watched this, I actually thought he died. I thought the the ghost killed him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Could you imagine? This has been referenced before Mm -hmm. i've seen this done like in other places i didn't know until watching this movie that it was from poltergeist because i was like what (laughs) (laughs) it's the thing where he rips his face off Mm -hmm. horrifying (laughs) you know this was done with prosthetics and the hands pulling his face were actually steven spielberg's hands oh my god look at that cool This scene is heavily referenced in Casper, another Spielberg production, over a decade later. Yeah. Like like we were saying. In the Casper version, it's very different. It's uh, (laughs) a a little more family friendly. Yeah. I just think back to when you said that Steven Spielberg 
they would make him do things like throw things in yes. Casper and stuff. And it's just funny that it's his hands pulling off this guy's face. <laughs> yeah. So it's, a, it's like, hey, direct, you know, hey, you, you do yeah. this too. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's Produce- like whenever yeah. he's not the director, the yeah. director just makes him do all this grunt work. <laughs> Weird little things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, as terrifying as this scene is, I love how 80s it feels mm, because yeah. it reminds me very much of Terminator. Oh, because yeah. He, because when the Terminator goes into like, a, I think it was a like, hotel bathroom or something, mm-hmm. he has to like fix his face. Yes. It's oh, very much the same yeah. type of prosthetic and uh, it's it, yeah. the same vibe. It reminds me of the visual effects in an American Werewolf in London. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And it just, it, because it's like those those very realistic looking prosthetics. I think the uh-huh. ones yeah. in American Werewolf are a little more real looking, but I still yeah, yeah. I still like that a lot. Mm-hmm. After the family retrieves Carol Ann from the spirit realm, the poltergeist comes back for one final huge scare, trying to pull her back in. I don't know how they gave it the time to do that. <laughs> I mean, why stay? This final attempt manifests as an enormous esophagus that begins to try to consume the family into it. This esophagus did not exist in the bedroom space, but was instead constructed as a miniature that was composited into the scene. Unbelievable. Yeah. Crazy. Wild. It's seamless. Yeah. Absolutely seamless. I would seamless. never have known that, yeah. ever. It looks like they're getting pulled into it. Yeah. yeah. It almost, you'd think that they just build like a slide. Yeah. At the very end of the film, the poltergeist eventually sucks the entire house into a weird little black hole Mm -hmm. of nothingness. Yeah. And according to ILM's own website, they said, eventually a number of techniques operating in unison were devised to achieve the effect. This included rigging the detailed model with steel cables that extended into a funnel-like construction and setting up a vacuum system to capture any dust and fragments not pulled through by the cables. So imagine a big fan almost working backwards to suck in all these particles, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was all shot with a high-speed camera and done in one take. (laughs) Oh, damn. Better get it It, right. It looks super good. It does. Yeah, it does. The actors shot their part on a blue screen set, and the optical department worked on rotoscoping the shot, and putting it all together using the Anderson optical printer. Oh. This is a fancy schmancy device. (laughs) It's it's a crazy unexpected ending for me. Yeah. Because I was like, well, I mean, I guess it's just whatever. It destroys the house somehow. I, I, yeah. I think that it was honestly a really smart way to end it because I think that this was their way of saying it's over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not going to happen again, even though there's a two sequels. <sighs> two sequels. <sighs> um, but I think that that was their way of being like, this is this is how it stops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Because they can't really undo what they did. Yeah. So yeah. how would you fix this? Right. And it's kind of like the house just implodes on itself. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Among all the effects in Poltergeist, there's one that gets the most scrutiny. I'm sure you know what we're talking about. What? The use of real skeletons. Jesus. (laughs) In the final act, Diane Freeling falls into the unfinished swimming pool in the backyard of their home. Suddenly, a corpse surfaces, providing one of the biggest jump scares in the film. Yeah, about leapt off the couch. Yeah, I know. Adam did actually freak out. (laughs) I didn't do many jumps the whole time, but that one got out. This part of the movie uh, is the scariest part of the movie. When I first watched this, I kind of actually thought that it was like gonna be okay before this scene. Because mm. um, they seemed like they were moving out oh, yeah, yeah. immediately, yeah. and I was like, oh, good, they moved out. But then mm-hmm. when I saw that they were spending one more night, I was like, oh. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. And I, the suspense of waiting for yeah. something to happen yeah. is yeah. really intense in this whole third act. Right, oh, Cause, yeah, because yeah, the kids are going to bed mm-hmm. in the yep. same room for Christ's sake. Yes, Christ and there's yeah. this big tease with Diane Freeling in the tub, yeah. and you just think something's going to attack her yeah. in the tub, you mm-hmm. know, because she's so vulnerable. She's like 
kind of falling asleep. Yeah. She's an exhausted mom. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, the kids are going to bed. And, it, you know, you just have this, it's everything's uneasy and they just keep kind of diverting you. Yeah. You know, yep. like when the clown's gone, you oh, think it's going to be gosh. under the bed. And yeah. That whole scene. And oh boy. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I love the whole third act of this movie. <laughs> Over the course of the scene, several other corpses rise from the graves below the home, leading to the classic realization, you moved the headstones, but you left the bodies. You son of a bitch, you moved the cemetery, but you left the bodies, didn't you? You son of a bitch, you left the bodies, and you only moved the headstones! Wild. Because <laughs> earlier in, this, in the movie, they were t- he was talking to his boss, they yep, were in like yeah. a new place where they were going to build more houses. And there was another cemetery, cemetery there. So it was like a weird little foreshadowing moment yeah. that you don't realize. That got me good. Yeah. It's like, oh, shit. Yes, like, yes. They ba- barely, they barely mention it. So, it, but yeah. they do mention it. So it's fair. Yeah. It's fair. Yeah. You know, it's not like they just totally spring it on you. And it's just this crazy twist that nobody could have seen coming. <laughs> right. You know, they, you know, that's there. It's yeah. planted in the movie. Yeah. And, and I like. I kind of like that it was finally answered. Yeah. Like, this is why this is happening. Yes. Because yep. you defiled these graves. Mm-hmm. The boss is the real villain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Beth Williams was hesitant to shoot the scene because she didn't want to be in a pool of water while there was so much electrical equipment on the set. I believe that. It's yeah. a very Fair valid enough. concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. To make her feel more comfortable, Steven Spielberg reportedly jumped in the pool and stayed in during the scene to show her that he was willing to put himself in the same situation. Wow. Yeah, apparently he jumped in and said, now if the light falls in, we're both fried. Wow, dude. Props. (laughs) Williams later said that she did not know that the skeletons were real, which made the scene much more terrifying to think about, and many have speculated that the use of the skeletons led to the so-called poltergeist curse, which we will talk about very shortly. One idea behind the curse is that the film's message seems to contradict the use of the skeletons. The Freelings are being tormented by souls of those they have disrespected by living on their graves. Some think that point came back to haunt the actors. The truth is, using a real human skeleton is cheaper than building a fake one. At least it was in 1982. Madness. Absolute (laughs) madness. I know, I know. It's cheaper to secure the remains of an actual human being than it is to build a skeleton. Wild. <sighs> At least probably back then. Now, 3D print it, whatever. Oh, yeah. hmm Films have been using real human m- remains since the beginning in classic films like Frankenstein and House on Haunted Hill. So using them in this film did not set any kind of precedent. Does it raise moral questions? Yeah, sure. Of course, but it was not a new concept. It was not something that was different yeah. or special. Uh, if you have watched any horror movie from like, I mean, I think it was over like a 70 year period. Yeah. And there's a skeleton. Oh, it's, it's very likely real. that's a real person. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, it just oh, sucks that she didn't know that it was. <laughs> yeah. They might have might have thought to tell her. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but would she have done it though? <laughs> uh, good question. Yeah. I don't know. In the Shutter series cursed films, Craig Reardon, who was the special effects and makeup supervisor on the film, expressed how common the practice was. When explaining why they did it, he said, wake up and smell the budget. Oh, yep. man. <laughs> he said, I not mean, to disillusion you, but but this is how it's done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if it were me and they told me that they were real, I might have been like, take it from my pay. Like, I don't know. I'm not... Make fake ones. Yeah. I'll take the dock uh, of money. Like, yeah. It's just really hard, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, oh, all these movies did it. And it's like, cool, I guess. But uh, it, still, it still doesn't feel great. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, the more yeah. you think about it, you're just like, that was a person. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk about the stars of this film. First, we have <laughs> Craig T. Nelson as the father figure, Steve Freeling. Yay. Craig is known for the TV show Coach and the movies The Incredibles and The Family Stone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, baby. And yeah. Parenthood. That was ah, a big one he was yes. into. That's right. Joe Beth Williams as Diane Freeling. Joe Beth has had many small roles on TV shows and has also been in movies like The Big Chill and Kramer vs. Kramer. Oh. Very nice. Very cool. 
Beatrice Strait as Dr. Lesh, the leader of the paranormal investigators that arrive. Beatrice was mostly a skilled Broadway actress, but she also appeared in some television shows and some movies. A few movies were Network from 1976, Power from 1986, and Two of a Kind from 1983. I really liked her yeah. in this movie. She felt very, like, I... I myself found some comfort in her because of how just nice and down to earth she was about yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Like, obviously, this is happening and she's like trying her best to comfort, yeah. mm-hmm. you and, know, everyone. And it's funny how inexperienced everyone on this team is yeah. <laughs> with actual paranormal activity, uh-huh. mm-hmm. you know? So, like, they're coming into this thinking, you know, a couple things are being knocked Some over. Some lights or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. they're seeing full body apparitions and, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> books flying, you know, voices portals and hands. And, and the lights flickering. Portals, yeah. Lights flickering in multiples of three. The family's like, oh, yeah, it'll do that. Like, it Just does it a couple yeah. times. There it'll is. be over. Yeah. <laughs> Dominique Dunn as Dana Freeling, the eldest daughter of the three children. Dominique had small parts in a few things, but most notably the TV shows Heart to Heart, Breaking Away, and Hill Street Blues. Oliver Robbins as Robbie Freeling, the middle child. Oliver only appeared as an actor in a few things before moving behind the camera. He was in Airplane 2, the sequel, and Man Overboard. Nice. Heather O'Rourke as the angelic Carol Ann Freeling, the youngest daughter who ends up being taken by the spiritual forces. They're here. Heather was not in very many things, but she did appear in all three Poltergeist movies and the show Happy Days. Drew Barrymore actually auditioned for the role, but she was cast in E.T. instead. Spielberg discovered Heather O'Rourke while she was visiting the MGM studio one day and brought her in for some screen tests before offering her the role. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, apparently she was, according to her IMDb bio, she was by herself for a second. Like her mom had gone to go get something and Steven Spielberg walked up and said, hi, what's your name? And she said, my name's Heather, but I'm not supposed to tell you that because you're a stranger and I'm not supposed to talk to strangers. No. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Sharp kid. And, uh, yeah. and so he just waited, you know, and the, parent, his mom, the mom came back and was like, oh, hello, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Oh, you can imagine, like, straight in the... So, Woo! Um, hair fluff, like, like, hi, yeah. Mr. Spielberg. <laughs> I only left her uh, alone for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Michael McManus as the neighbor Ben Tuthill. Michael was in some shows like Night Court and the 1989 Baywatch. He was also in movies like Hot Shots Part Two <laughs> and the Kentucky Fried <laughs> Movie. Virginia Kaiser as Mrs. Tuthill. Virginia has been in TV shows like Days of Our Lives, Dallas, and Max Headroom. She has been in movies such as Dreamscape, Space Raiders, and Death Play. Cool. Yeah. Martin Casella as Marty, one of Dr. Lesh's assistants. His character has the famous scene where he pulls his face off in the bathroom mirror. He has been in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, RoboCop 2, and Heart Like a Wheel. Cute. Very cool. Yeah. Richard Lawson as Ryan, the other of Dr. Lesh's assistants. Richard has had parts in many things, most notably the movies How Stella Got Her Groove Back, Streets of Fire, and Four Colored Girls. I don't understand how this guy was like so hyped about everything. (laughs) Everyone, like the other two, the, the main doctor and the other assistant were just like, oh man, this is intense stuff. And he's like, Dude, look at all this stuff. This is this cool. is so cool. Catching this on film. It's like he was uh, having a great time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's like those ghost hunters on the TV shows. Oh, oh yeah, my yeah. god. You ever you ever watch it? It's like you hear you hear Possess like a... me. Come on. <laughs> Super guilty pleasure. I know. Those are I like, know. Oh yeah. I spent a lot of spring breaks on the couch watching that yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Zelda Rubenstein as Tangina, the medium. 
Zelda was a character actress that was in things like Southland Tales, Guilty as Charged, and Teen Witch. Uh, we are deaf doing a Teen Witch episode. Yeah. That's <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she landed the role after auditioning several times and did her scenes over the course of a few days. She claimed to be psychic in real life, which also helped her win the role. Hey. Yeah. One of her most important lines was, Now clear your minds. It knows what scares you. It has from the very beginning. Don't give it any help. It knows too much already. Now, open the door. Hmm. Terrifying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I also, when we were watching the other line, she says, I was like, totally not true. She's out of her mind where she goes this house is clear i'm like no <laughs> no it's not there's no way it's clear <laughs> this concept appeared in other horror notably ghostbusters just a few years later and also a very special episode of are you afraid of the dark it knows what scares you <laughs> <laughs> James Karen as Mr. Teague, who was responsible for moving the cemetery. <laughs> man, wow. that dude, man. <laughs> James has been in several things, including The Return of the Living Dead, The Pursuit of Happiness, and Mulholland Drive. I see he left the real estate business, thank God. Yeah. Yeah. Thank yeah. goodness. <laughs> And finally, we have Dirk Blocker as Jeff Shaw, the unfortunate guy in the beginning who is riding a bike carrying a big case of beer and drops oh. probably about half of it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you remember that scene? I oh do my God. Yes, I do. The kids are messing with him while he's riding yes. his bike on the beer and run. And he's, like, just trying to hold on to it. Oh. Well, you might recognize him now as Hitchcock in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Yeah. Yes, and that was obviously a pivotal scene we had to mention. <laughs> Honestly, if I were him, I would have ran over those kids' little RC cars. <laughs> I've been like, I'm I know not he's try like he's trying not to run over the the, yeah. like, the toy. Yeah, he's I'd trying to be nice. If, if they were driving it at me on purpose, crush that little. Oh yeah, crush it. Oh, yeah. Run right over it. Oh, I got a game to catch you, little. So here are some fun facts about the film Poltergeist. Oh, how delightful. <laughs> yes. E.T. and Poltergeist both came out in June of 1982, and it was dubbed the Summer of Spielberg. Spielberg originally offered E.T. to Toby Hooper, and he turned it down for the unwritten Poltergeist script instead, which is definitely more his speed. Yes. Yeah. In 1982, PG-13 did not exist, so Poltergeist was almost an R-rated film but the filmmakers were able to make a case for a PG rating. Since there are no fatalities except Tweety the Bird, oh, yeah. and because the film lacks excessive gore or bad language. This way, the movie could run alongside E.T. So imagine going to the movies oh, in my. 1982, Damn. and you just see these two absolute classics. Oh my gosh. Dude, what if you, went, you were at the drive-in, and yes. you literally saw them back to back? Yeah. Oh. That's what he said. He Pretty wanted amazing. it to be able to be a double feature. If wow. Perfect. Yeah. It um, is the perfect. If I run that like council, I'd have been like, mm, excuse me, excessive gore. <laughs> You've got one scene where a man pulls his own face off. <laughs> Craig T. Nelson isn't the only Pixar connection with Poltergeist. The Toy Story films make many pop culture references, and one of them is directly from this movie. In the beginning of the film, Craig T. Nelson's character is watching TV. As the broadcast ends with the national anthem. This is something that used to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. The normal broadcasts end, and there would be the bum, bottom, bum, 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 yeah. you know, yeah. and uh, whatnot. Good night, America. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he has fallen asleep, and the dog licks his fingers. In Toy Story 2, Al from Al's Toy bar Barn falls asleep watching TV, and Woody's horse, Bullseye, licks his fingers while he sleeps. Both scenes use the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, yeah. my I, gosh. It's really cool. Yeah. yeah. And I love in Toy Story, <clears throat> it, it's the same thing where the TV just goes to static, and it could be like, a, you know, even more of a poltergeist thing. Yes. 
and they just use the light of the TV to light that whole scene. Mm -hmm. Very nice looking for an animation. Around 34 minutes in, there's a weird cut in the film that's impossible to miss. Yeah. Yeah. Jarring. Yeah. Is the word. (laughs) Yeah. It goes from Diane speaking in mid-sentence to the couple, both Diane and Steve, standing on the porch of their neighbor's house. What is a horrible, crude cut like this doing in this movie? Yeah. You almost think that the DVD cut Something or the streets are yeah. skipped. Or... I actually, when I watched this, I saw the cut and I paused it. And I actually rewound, I, I went back and watched the scene several times because I kept thinking it had to be it, skipping. Yeah. I was. I felt like I'd missed something. Yeah. I felt like I it's really, so I didn't jarring. understand. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Carol Ann is apparently promised pizza earlier in the movie. And a stressed Steve, Craig T. Nelson, says, I hate Pizza Hut. Likely because he, he would prefer to focus on the unseen force moving his family around the kitchen than dinner plans. Pizza Hut was not happy with the line, but they found out late in the game. So the solution was this cut. Ugh. Uh, I know. I, so annoying. <laughs> The cut is frankly jarring and a splotch on an otherwise great film. We wish they could release the original and just cut the word hut from the audio or ADR a different line. Anything. (laughs) Anything would be better than several minutes cut from the film that likely contributed to it in an artistic way. Yeah. Yep. Um, (laughs) I can't believe how much they cut out. We were just talking about it earlier today. Yeah, it's frustrating because I read the whole scene. Like mm-hmm. I read like the script for the mm-hmm. scene and it's they cut out a lot. Yeah. And I just can't believe that I mean I can believe it, but I'm annoyed mm-hmm. that Pizza Hut took that so literally. Yeah. yeah. Because obviously he's not actually saying he hates Pizza Hut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's just frustrated. Yeah. There's ghosts in his house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he just doesn't really know how to articulate that. Mm-hmm. You know, basically he just wants everyone to shut up about Pizza Hut. Yeah. So he can think about the ghosts that are, ha- you know, haunting yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it could have helped them. You know, yeah. they could have gotten business from that. Honestly, they didn't even, even say a even bad. I mean, bad any publicity. Yeah, publicity. their name yeah. was in it, and they didn't even have to pay. Yeah. but then they had it removed. Yeah, stupid. That's, what really gets me is I just can't believe how much was cut. Yeah, for a line, right? Yeah. Because they there are so many other things they could have. If they wanted to, just I would be okay if there was a a a, a jarring cut. Where they just chop out the piece where he says, I hate Pizza yes, Hut. Yes, I would have yeah. preferred that too. Even just, a, but like two seconds are gone and you see the rest of it. But like minutes yeah. gone. Like, I couldn't, what the hell? I was reading the scene and it just kept going. And I was like, oh my God, how much of this got cut? So I don't know how much of it was in the original print of the movie, but like, damn. Like, oh, if geez. anyone has. Any version of the movie that has more of that scene, please let us know where to find it or send it to us. Yeah. Because I want to see it. Ah, anyway. So, there's one more thing we need to talk about. Yes. Mm -hmm. When we talk about Poltergeist. Yes, unavoidable. Yeah. If we're going to talk about Poltergeist, we have to talk about the mythology of the Poltergeist curse. Although this episode only focuses on the first Poltergeist film, the good one, Mm-hmm. The curse is <laughs> the I mean, curse is something that covered all three Poltergeist movies. On the set of the first film, there was a malfunction with one of the practical effects. In the scene where Robbie, Oliver Robbins, was strangled by the creepy toy clown, he called out that he couldn't breathe. Filmmakers thought he was improvising until they noticed his face change colors, and Spielberg sprinted to him to stop it. Robbins was ultimately okay, but the incident is one of the first that people mention when they consider if the film is cursed. Oh, man. Yeah. And it's that creepy clown strangling yeah, the Yeah, jeez. Yeah, I think about it. I've seen, watching the movie now and thinking about that. I, yeah. I think about it like, oh, poor kid. Oh, my God. I, I remember... I remember while we were watching. Yeah. I saw it the first time and I was like, okay, who... Who looks at that in the store and goes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I want that. yeah, I want that in my house. Wait, this sounds, yeah, you know what? <laughs> Who? Who? <laughs> That'll make my child happy. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 
In October of 1982, only a few months after the release of the first Poltergeist film, Dominique Dunn, who played Dana, was strangled by her ex-boyfriend and placed on life support. The 22-year-old actress never recovered. That's terrible. Yeah. Over the course of the second and third films, there were the deaths of actors Will Sampson and Julian Beck, both of which had known conditions that contributed to their deaths. But what really solidified the myth in movie lovers' imaginations was the untimely death of Heather O'Rourke, who played Carol Ann. Before the release of the third film, the 12-year-old died suddenly of an undetected bowel defect, which caused her body to go into septic shock. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. Horrible, man. Gary Sherman, the director of the third film, did not want to finish the movie after Heather's death. Unfortunately, he was contractually obligated to finish the movie, and they used a body double for Heather. He said it was the creepiest thing he had ever done, and he felt like releasing the film was disrespectful to Heather and her family. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that sucks a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I think, you know, we were watching that Cursed Films show, the Shutter the documentary, and it was really interesting to hear the special effects guy talk about the skeletons and yeah, mm-hmm. because the, the 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 theory for the curse is that they use the skeletons and that was the problem right. and blah blah mm-hmm. blah. He was like, "That is not only disrespectful to me, mm-hmm. an effects artist, you yeah. know, who just mm-hmm. did what we did, but also he said it's disrespectful to both of those girls, mm-hmm. Dominique, who was murdered." He yeah. said, which has fuck all to do with skeletons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved mm-hmm. that line. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Oh, is that what he said? Yeah, he literally he said, said that. said fuck yeah. all to do with this Yeah, and he was like, and poor Heather, you know, mm-hmm. who, who died of a birth, an undetected birth defect. Yeah. He was like, I mean, it's horrible for people to be doing this. And, you know, and the director of the third movie said he had to change his phone number and had to move because yeah. tabloids just wouldn't leave him alone yeah. about the curse. and. Heather really liked doing the movies. She loved it. Yeah, she loved these movies. They were fun for her. She had a great time. Like, Yeah, she probably would have been in a lot more stuff, too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was really cute because the, the director of the third, when he was talking about her, he said that he just connected with her and, and she loved him as a director, that she asked him about directing she said i want to become a director one day and i want to learn when i grow up i'm gonna be a director because you're you know you're a really great director and yeah he said he was like i just adored her and so the idea that like these movies are the reason she died outrageous yeah yeah Yeah. so (laughs) now we're going to ask adam this is our new segment ask Ask adam Adam. it's me (laughs) (laughs) adam where would you rank this movie on the scaredy meter? Where do you think it's how um, one on a scale of one to to terrifying? <laughs> one to um never forget nightmares. Yeah. Style, ah, yes. Style, style yes. Style. Where where would you rank um, this movie? I actually would rank it relatively low on the on the scary meter because like we talked about already, this movie isn't really about the ghost. It's about the family dealing with this ghost, right? Mm-hmm. What the ghost does is creepy as fuck. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the the characters react in such a realistic way. Yeah. And yet aren't doing the stupid movie tropes like we better split up to confuse it or something <laughs> stupid. Right? Yeah. And the lack of the high body count, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm cool with that. Especially, you know, especially after the fact, looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, whew, everything's fine. And now if I were to watch it again, I'd be way less anxious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even during the movie, it didn't feel super terrifying because what really gets me are things like somebody is now alone in the dark. We don't mm-hmm. see anything. They're like heavy breathing, whatever. That kind of those kind of visual things get me a lot more than. Here's the scary thing happening. Oh wow, look at that. The room is spinning with all the stuff in it. Like the the scary things in this movie are not the most scary things that exist, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that <laughs> very much. Yeah. So I would rank this very low on the scary meter 
Good. It's got some creeps in it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's, yeah. It made me jump. And the the creature that, like, when the poltergeist is doing its, like, final attack, I guess, and mm-hmm. it's keeping the mom out of the room. Yeah. That, like, white skeleton dragon creature thing. Yeah. What the hell, yeah. ass? <laughs> I don't even know how to describe that thing. Right. So cool. Creepy as hell. Very creepy. Like, that thing... In its own movie, like a monster styled like that would scare the fuck out of me more. Mm. But because it was just in this movie and it was like, okay, it was only for a second and it was like just cool to kind of like figure it out while it was happening, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's kind of where I stand. I think if I were to recommend this movie to other scaredy cats like me, I would say this is a good starting point and i yeah, you guys beginning. you guys mm-hmm. made me watch this one for the same reason you thought so too you agree that this is a good starting point if you want to get into scary things or if mm-hmm. you just want to like see yeah yeah like, what is this about you know and just forget all the spoilers we already said yeah uh, oh i mean true <laughs> true but if you're a scaredy pants maybe you didn't get this far yeah. Or yeah. maybe you just know somebody now to recommend it to. That's yeah. true. That you want to That's you true. Watch them the horror. There you go. That's a better way to look at it. If you're a horror <laughs> fan, but you have a friend who's not like me, um, show them Poltergeist. I think yes. it's a good start. Mm-hmm. I don't know if wholesome is the right word, but as far as horror movies go, it is the most, like, I don't know, family-friendly yeah. horror movie mm-hmm. that I've seen. Um, I really... I liked it a lot. I don't like yeah. horror stuff, but this was a great movie. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. I did. I did. It um, it has some great, great stuff for beginner horror people. Yeah. Because it's just, like yeah. I said, just scary enough to where you feel like you are watching a horror movie, but it doesn't get too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Poltergeist is an iconic member of the 80s horror family. It terrified a generation of kids as it tapped into the fears that they knew best. Creepy clowns, terrifying trees, and closet monsters. Which of those do you think is the scariest? Because <laughs> I can't decide. The um, clown's terrifying, but the tree? Yeah. I don't know, gets me The a tree lot. actually grabs him and pulls him in. Yeah. And yeah. That boy does go through quite a bit in that movie. Yeah, yeah. he does, actually. I, I love that the beast pulls Carol Ann through the closet. The closet's the portal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the closet is such an iconic thing that kids are afraid yeah. of. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The film showed audiences that anyone, even a non-believing happy family in a new home, could become the victims of a horror film. It played on the ideas that horror films have been building on for decades. Forces from beyond the grave and hidden dangers lurking in seemingly idyllic places. How did Poltergeist become an instant classic? It's simple. It knew what scared us. Uh, <laughs> sure <laughs> damn did. Um, I think it. what would have pushed it over the edge for me is something, like I mentioned earlier, like the dark and the unknownness yeah. mm-hmm. would, would have been like, all right, I might need to like turn some more lights on. I might need <laughs> to like back out, maybe grab some more popcorn. Mm-hmm. Like I need to, to, you know, I need to take a breather. But it didn't. It didn't do that, which is great. But yeah, it was good. It was great. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think this is another case closed. All Ooh. right. Hell yeah! Take that, you ghost. <laughs> yeah. Close the book. you away. You. Yeah. With our claps. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for listening to our show. We hope you're enjoying Frightening February, which is going to bleed into March. (laughs) (laughs) Monstrous March. So thank you so much for listening. You can find our show, BlackCaseDiaries.com. We have another show, No Small Parts. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be a page for it on our website, BlackCaseDiaries.com slash No Small Parts. Piece of cake. There you go. Easy peasy. That's an audio drama. It's much shorter, and it's monthly. That's right. Something extra to look forward to. And. If you are you're listening to this feed right now, you've got the th- first three episodes. That is it. Yep. The rest of them are going to be on the No Small Parts feed. You gotta go over there, please, yes. please. Subscribe, follow, whatever you need to do. Yeah, whatever yeah. you, whatever. You, <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, uh, thank you so much. And also, you could follow us on Twitter, Instagram. Go to our blog. There's lots of information, show notes, sources, links. Vidges. Yes. Cool yeah. stuff. So stay, stay spooky, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Now let's go get